Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Locked On Seminoles, your favorite Florida State sports talk show where we talk about what you like to talk about and you listen to us talk about it. I'm your host, Max, and I am riding solo for tonight's Mail Bag Monday. We are getting close to the end of spring, so we will talk about the wide receivers and a great question asking if we want to revisit our list of best wide receivers, and the answer is yes, I do. And yes, I will be including Micah Pittman because we are hearing but nothing but great things about that young man. And then it's also going to have a recruiting slant to it with these questions because after all, it may be spring practice, but it is the offseason. So let's dive into this thing and let's get rolling. Locked on Seminoles, your daily podcast on the Florida State Seminoles, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Locked on Seminoles, the people's Florida State talk show. And we are happy to have y'all here. I guess I say we, I mean the royal we, because tonight it is just me. But I promise tomorrow, Drake will be back. Dave will be back. Stacy, Holly, the whole crew will be back, folks. If it is your first time here, I encourage you to please hit the like button, hit the subscribe button, and make sure you turn on notifications. We are on a march to a 1,000 We are closer than we ever thought we would be. So thank you for making Locked On Seminoles your first listen every day and for getting us oh so close to a thousand subscribers. Hit that button one more time. Help us out. If you've been here all along, just hit the like button and make sure that you leave a comment so you can be featured on the next Mailbag Monday. Folks, we were asked by our new subscriber, Young Life, NKY. You guys ready to revise this wide receiver list? Somehow, you both missed big on Micah Pittman. That is in response to our episode, Rookie Numbers. You can see it here. Hoping I did that right. You know, I want to revise it for a couple of reasons. One, I put Corey Wren on there. And look, they all say smart people don't make mistakes. But true geniuses can recognize when they've been wrong and can correct it. In the light of true genius, I will correct this one. I just, I I think I was trying to be a little different and have like a take and hope that, hey, Corey Wren with that speed on the upside. And yeah, I know he was listed as a running back, but I was thinking he'd probably be a pass catcher. Now he's in the transfer portal. So yeah, I whiffed on that one. And I left my man Ja'Kai Douglas off the list. And from what we're hearing, Micah Pittman should be on the list. Winston Wright Jr. is now out since then too. So I can't speak for Drake. I can't speak for Dave, but I can give you my new adjusted and revised top five Florida State wide receivers as we head into the final week of spring practice. Don't forget, folks, Saturday, 5 p.m. spring game. Be there or watch it on a live stream if you want. It's also the Masters, which I feel like was poor planning on our parts. Don't know who decided to do it on Masters weekend, but hey, someone did. So anyway, um, yeah, number five, I am going to go with my man, Ja'Kai Douglas. He is our best gadgety player. He's our best guy to come out on a wheel route. Does some pretty good stuff in the slot. Number two, another guy I left off. Or number four, I'm sorry. Another guy I left off. Ontario Wilson. We are hearing good things about him. Again, he's not a number one receiver. He's not going to be your best threat on every single play. But he looks like a guy 
that's actually able to do some things deep and looks like a guy that can be disruptive and, you know, can um, can cause some problems for opposing defenses. Now, I will say this, and I don't mean any disrespect to Pokey, but remember when we do position rankings, it's all relative, right? Like we're ranking the guys we've got on the team that are going to be on the field in Garnet and Gold, not ranking the conference. I'm not ranking all Americans. I think Florida State probably needs to be in a better spot than one where Pokey Wilson has an argument to be our fourth best receiver. I hate to be mean. I don't want to be rude. I do want to take a quick little water break, but I don't want to be in a position where Pokey's your fourth best wide receiver, right? I think that we need to get in a position where a guy of his skill set is someone that really just doesn't see the field much if we're going to get to that next level, but that's a conversation for a different day. Let's see. I had Johnny Wilson in my top five last time, and I think I'm going to swap him. I think I'm going to go other transfer from Calabasas High School, and I'm going to put Micah Pittman at my number three. Now, to be fair, I think Drake did have Micah Pittman in there because of both receiving and returnability, but what we're hearing about Micah Pittman is that he's a good football player. I don't think he's going to be anything revolutionary, but I don't think he's going to be an Andrew Parchman. I think that We'll see in the spring game, but all sources point to him being a, how do I put this, a positive take for this team. Not amazing. Okay, again, remember, all reports out of spring are relative, right? They're not playing games. We're seeing them in practice. You're seeing a lot of guys, by the way, that are not playing as much as they should, either because they're nursing something or the coaching staff already knows what they can do. And it's kind of like spring training. They're trying to see who can maybe be something else. So I'll give him my number three spot though. And I think for my one and two, I don't know. I want to leave Keyshawn in there, but I don't know if I want to leave him at my number one. Although I feel like I have to, because my logic last time for leaving Keyshawn at my number one was he is the most proven wide receiver on this roster that has done it on this field wearing these colors, right? And I think by that metric, while I don't know if he's the best soup to nuts wide receiver on the team, he's going to stay number one in my power rankings until he proves otherwise. Uh, Plain and simple. But I think for my number two, I'm going to stick with the guy that I've believed in all last season and all off season, who I think that if he reaches his potential, will easily be your number one, and that's Malik McClain. Now, I think honorable mention, probably throwing Kentron Portier in there. We heard good things about him from this past scrimmage, but I also talked to someone that told me that it's kind of the norm for Tron. Like, it doesn't feel that much different than it did last offseason, and we didn't see him take that next step when it was time to get into game time in the fall. So I still have my reservations about Kentron Portier, or Portier, depending on how you want to say it. I believe he says Portier. He is uh, on my honorable mention, but my number two is Malik McLean. So just to recap, I've got my number five, Ja'Kai Douglas. I've got at my number four, Pokey Wilson. My number three wide receiver going into the last week of spring practice. I've got transfer from Oregon, Calabasas High School alum, Micah Pittman. At my number two, I've got the big man, true sophomore, Malik McLean. And at my number one spot, I'm still leaving Keyshawn Helton. I want to put an important caveat here, though. I'm not saying that Keyshawn Helton 
is going to be your number one receiver in the sense of like the top, the number one on the field, right? Like your X receiver. I'm saying I think he is currently who I would power rank as your best receiver on the roster because he has proven it the most for the Florida State Seminoles. But these are power rankings. These are dynamic. I appreciate the question. And yes, all of our power rankings on every position will change pretty regularly. So those are mine for wide receiver now. But I want to get into recruiting talk because we've got a couple great questions on recruiting. But before I do that, I got to tell you all about our friends over at Stat Hero. Stat Hero is a new take on daily fantasy. It's the way it should be played, really, because right now, if you go anywhere else, you're playing against algorithms. You're playing against people that know what they're doing, that have the money to put in lineup after lineup after lineup. And you're just not going to beat them. Stat Hero does it a little differently, right? It lets you pick a lineup that you want to play against and you try to make your lineup beat that lineup. And that is pretty much it. You get your sports action fix. It's sleek and simple gameplay. They'll have you up in minutes. And it is what daily fantasy was meant to be. So you can sign up for free right now at stathero.com slash locked on. And if you use promo code locked on, you will get a 100% deposit match. That's stathero.com slash locked on using promo code Locked on for a 100% match on your first deposit. Stathero.com slash locked on promo code locked on. Terms and conditions apply. And folks, we appreciate you every single day, mostly when you contribute to the mailbag. Because I love these episodes. Mailbag Monday, don't tell the other days is probably my favorite episode to film because I like responding to y'all. And that's what we do here at Locked on Seminoles, your favorite Florida State daily sports talk show. Matt Perry, I, I don't want to leave you out, bud, because I actually you, you tagged on to this kind of wide receiver theme before I rolled a recruiting. Matt Perry said, I love the optimism, but without Winston Wright, we don't have a bona fide wide receiver one on the roster. Also lacking a starting right tackle as it stands now, I'd take seven wins and be over the moon with eight. Oh, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I've kind of felt like that all season, man. I don't know if um, all season, sorry, all off season. I don't know if I ever really thought that eight or more was realistic. I've I've found a way to convince myself sometimes when I go through the schedule, but we all should be stoked with eight wins. I think seven is good. I think seven's about what you should expect. I will say this. If Vegas sets our win total, and, and they may have released it already, I haven't looked, at six and a half, I don't know if I'd bet it in either direction, right? Seven and a half, uh, I'd probably take the under. And if it looked like we were going to go over, I'd start hedging on the money line. But we can go over that strategy later. Um, you're right, though. I mean, we don't have a bona fide number one. I, I don't know if Winston Wright was going to be that guy. I mean, you look at him coming from West Virginia with 600 yards on the in, through the air. Um, that's pretty solid, but it's also West Virginia. I mean, the Big 12 throws the ball all the time. I don't know if he, like, I don't know if he was going to be as sure of a number one as we wanted him to be. I'm not saying he was going to be bad. I just, I don't know if his law, if the loss of him really changes my outlook on the wide receiver room enough to sway me by any more than like 0.1 wins. So the right tackle thing though, that is concerning. And yeah, that's something that we can get to. We actually did an episode about the big men. I feel a lot better about the O-line than I ever have, not ever, than I have in four or five years. But yeah, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see who lands where because we're also hearing that there was a 
legitimate injury of a Keogh lineman that uh, might keep Darius Washington out for the rest of spring, which, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's not good, right? Like, you just, this is not a very, it's not a bad O-line, right, with the starters, but it's not the type of O-line that can sit there and take a lot of losses either. So, uh, if yeah, if that injury is true, we might be in a little trouble. But let's get to some recruiting questions. First question, we had Reginald. Reginald, where are you? Reginald, first and foremost, how you measure recruiting is different post-portal. You can't compare Jimbo to Norvell. Actually, some of Jimbo's classes are very overrated. Jimbo didn't come behind Willie Taggart, nor did he have COVID to deal with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Um, I don't know. I looked at it because I wanted to answer that question. And I think it's absolutely fair to compare Norvell to Jimbo. Sorry. Um, Jimbo had to come after Bobby Bowden, which is kind of a horse. It's a horse of a different color, but it's still a challenge. He had to come after one of the most legendary coaches of all time. And frankly, what people had seen is a pretty bad downslide towards the end, right? Like, Oh, Florida State's falling off. They're never going to get back to it. He had to convince kids to come to that, but also convince other kids that he could fill the shoes of Bobby Bowden. So he had his own challenges, man. And coming after Willie, guys, I know this sucks to hear, but Willie was only here two years. Like, you can only do so much damage in two years. I know he didn't do great, but I'm not going to give a guy a pass on his third recruiting class because of what a coach who was only here for two years before him did. Sorry, it's just not going to happen. I No, he should have brought in a better recruiting class this time. And I get Travis Hunter not signing, dropped the rankings quite a bit. And I understand the argument that it was very O-line heavy. So those guys don't typically get rated as high. Don't fully agree with that argument either. But it's one that floats around out there. I want to look at Jimbo's classes, though, being overranked. And when I looked through it, I think there's only one that is, right? 2016, um, you can definitely argue that this one was overrated, right? Number three class in the country, and it featured, this is a funny one. Here's the top three in that class. Levante Taylor, okay, great, didn't do much. Landon Dickerson did a great job at Alabama. Never did much at Florida State because he never stayed healthy. Bavion Johnson, crazy he was from all the way back in 2016 and he literally just left he never really amounted much either but he was the number one ranked center in the country brian burns obviously we all know what he became malik henry four-star quarterback played for what three or four schools went on last chance you I, I don't think he plays football anymore no idea one of our favorite players oh my gosh two of our favorite players janarius robinson dontavius jackson two four stars that I don't know. They were probably fine, but I, yeah, I mean, nothing really there. Keith Gavin, Upshur, I think he transferred, went back to, all I remember was him being in Philly and getting shot. Hope he's okay. Um, I don't, I don't remember what the whole situation was, but I remember that news story and I don't think he was, I think he'd left Florida State at the time. Don't remember if he ever started playing football again. So yeah, I mean, this, uh, you know, Carlos Becker, oh, Jawan Williams was in that class. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm with you. That was probably an overrated class. But I want to point out the counter argument to the whole, oh, this class was O-line heavy, and that's why it wasn't rated high. Well, 
This class had, that I'm reading about, this is Jimbo's class in 2016, number three in the nation, third-ranked class of the nation, had Mike Arnold. Uh, where are we at? Where are we at? Oh, you got scroll up. Josh Ball, Jawan Williams, Landon Dickerson. So you get, oh, and Bavion Johnson. So you get five O linemen in this class. Still number three in the country. But other than that, other than that, 2016, hold on, quick water break. I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't think Jimbo had any overrated classes. I mean, maybe like one or two spots, but I'll tell you this. Jimbo sure as hell never had a class that was ranked 20th that was or played down to the level of a 20th ranked class. Okay, 2015, you had Derwin James, Josh Sweat. Okay, Tavares, Tavares McFadden, like, didn't end up as great, but he had a great year in there. Um, Francois never gets hurt, probably a lot better. I think his, what, his freshman year, he lived up to the hype. Uh, Auden Tate, he was a really good player for you. I believe he's still in the league. You had some pretty darn good players in there. Nyquan Murray even, you know, he, he was one of the lower-ranked players in the class, and he even did some productive stuff for you besides all the all the off-the-field stuff. 2014... Oh, man, this is a trip down memory lane, isn't it? 2014, number four-ranked national class. You had Dalvin Cook, Erman Lane, Travis Rudolph, Derek Noddy, Roderick Johnson, Demarcus Christmas. I mean, yeah, I, dude, he, I don't – yeah, these classes are not comparable. Like, Norvell has not brought in a class yet in three years, even close to any of the classes Jimbo brought in. Now, does that mean he can't? No. No, I'm about to answer a question about that in a second about do I think he recruits efficiently. But you can't say that, oh, it's not a fair comparison and this, that, the other. You don't want to hear that. Y'all don't want to hear that maybe Norvell's not Jimbo Fisher. Y'all don't want to hear that your ex-wife might be better than your current girlfriend. I know it's tough to hear, but guess what? That's the situation that's playing out in front of our eyes, right? Because Jimbo just got the number one recruiting class of all time, and I know Texas A&M has money. I get it. I'm not saying Norvell needs the number one recruiting class of all time. I'm saying he needs to do better than 20th. And I think that Jimbo did far better than that every year he was here. He had to come right after a legend who had a program that was downsliding that people were saying was never going to get back on top. And guess what, folks? The SEC had money then. The SEC, as a spoiler alert and a big secret, and I don't want to tell it to y'all, but they also had Bagman back then. The article Enter the Bagman or whatever it was called was released around that time. So yeah, they had a recruiting advantage we didn't have back then and Jimbo still got it done. I'm not saying Mike Norvell needs to compare himself to Jimbo Fisher 24-7, but where that question was posted was on something where I said, excuse time is over. Jimbo was bringing in great classes from Jump Street. Mike Norvell's now had three tries and he's had three strikeouts in my opinion. Now, I, I think last year's when you add in the transfers was a little bit more of like maybe he didn't have three strikeouts. Maybe he had like two strikeouts and a ground out, you know, that he almost got on base with, or maybe it was a sacrifice fly and he's setting something up for later. But now Jimbo didn't this narrative. I'm just going to nip it in the bud. It, Jimbo did not have a bunch of overrated classes and Mike's classes aren't better than they look to the degree that puts them on par with Jimbo's classes just because of the transfers he's brought in. That's an absurd narrative to me. Doesn't make any sense. And um, yeah, it doesn't pass the sniff test. Sorry, man. All right. I've got one more question I want to get to about recruiting. But first, 
I got to tell y'all about some of our friends that make this show possible. And those are the folks at Bet Online. Guys, the national championship in basketball, that's that sport we were good at for a while. And this year it was kind of like, meh, we just didn't really show up, is tonight. So go make your account, betonline.net, and you can get a welcome bonus when you use promo code locked on. That will give you extra money to put on whoever you think is going to win. I'm not giving you gambling advice, but I am telling you, if you decide to wager, do it at betonline.net and use promo code locked on. So our next question is Lotto 12 days ago. Do you think the Norvell staff is able to recruit efficiently to what extent is the current state of the program holding back the staff's ability to recruit? If the team is able to win eight games next season, do you think the staff will be able to leverage that to recruit better? I don't know if they got, I don't know if they got to it last, uh, last week, but I wasn't here. So I am going to answer it. I think that I think it depends. I think we've we've really locked ourselves up in this narrative of oh if we, oh, if we win games, the recruits will come. Mm, I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not saying it won't help. It will. It's better to win games than to lose games. What I'm saying is. There needs to be a big recruiting push, and you need these kids on the hook first. And then if you win games, you're more likely to get the good kids than if you lose a lot of games. That is that is obvious. Y'all are right. But I don't think it's a straightforward, linear relationship between winning games and recruiting. Because there are teams that have won a lot of games that have never gotten amazing recruiting classes. There was a long time where Oklahoma was the most efficient team in the country under Bob Stoops for like a decade. When you look at the recruiting classes they brought in to where they finished in the AP poll. It's possible to keep winning games and just never really get those huge recruiting classes. Then you got you got guys like Jimbo Fisher bringing in great classes every year and still hasn't been to the playoff. But great recruits keep coming there. Keep coming there. They keep going. No matter what happens, he's going to bring in great guys. Now, there's other things to that, but he's a good recruiter. Do I think this staff can recruit efficiently? No. No, I don't. I think Norvell can. But I don't think he's got the folks around him that he needs to have around him right now. I think Atkins is a good recruiter, clearly. Look at the offensive line haul that we've gotten, despite having a woefully underperforming unit the past, like, what, three years before he got here, then he comes in, they start playing better, they start developing, kids see that, they want to play for him. So maybe that's my answer. If kids see the team developing and players developing under position coaches, which will lead to winning more games, they'll want to play for those guys. But most kids that go high-level Power 5 D1, they have one goal, and that's to make it to the NFL. And they're going to find the coaches they think gives them the best give them the best chance to do that. Norvell's got to start sending some guys to the league. His position coaches have to start developing guys that they can send to the league. Once we see more and more of that, which we I think we will eventually, then kids will want to play for him. So it's not as simple as like, did we win games or not? Because to me, and people can disagree with me on this, it's fine. Y'all disagree with me on a lot. You agree with me on a lot, so I appreciate you coming back. It's not just win or lose. It's how you do it. There's not like a – guys, these kids are human. This is not NCAA 14. Like, 
There's not an equation that says, okay, if you win eight games, they'll look at the win-loss total and they'll look at eight and they'll come to your school. But it's it's better to win eight than it is to win four. So does it matter? Yes. Is it going to be like earth shattering to our recruiting efforts if we win eight instead of seven? No. If we win eight games and there's like three or four that are kind of sloppy and that kid's position group doesn't look good, you're probably not going to get that kid. If you win seven instead of eight or maybe six instead of eight in that kid's position group, you can see kids developing and that coach looks competent and looks like he knows what he's doing and we are headed in the right direction. Well, yeah, then you'll get good kids at that position that want to play for that coach. It just depends on the kids and it depends on the coaches and who your supporting staff is, who you're supporting, who makes up your supporting staff. But back to what I said, I don't think we have the off the field staff I'd like to see us have. I don't. Um, I don't think Randy Shannon's a good recruiter. I mean, I'm glad he got Tatum Bethune, but I don't think he's a good recruiter. I don't think he's a good evaluator of talent. Um, I don't think your wide receivers coach is any good at what he does. I, I think he played for Florida State. I don't know what Ron Dugans does on the recruiting trail or in the talent development sphere that made Mike Norvell keep him this year. Maybe I'll be proven wrong, but other than like one commit that we got last week, maybe, yeah, I guess last week as you're listening to this from a kid who's not going to be on campus for a pretty long time. I don't know what he's done other than completely strike out in this last recruiting cycle and show that he has no ability to develop the talent that is on the roster during the season last year. So I, no, I don't think they recruit efficiently. I want to get to your last question, though, because, Lotto, I was looking for your name, and I saw another one. Um, how do you guys feel about LSU? Do you think we have a solid chance of winning this game, and why, if we played them later on in the season, would we have a chance? I think this is a simple question. One, I feel good about it. I think people are forgetting LSU kind of sucked last year. They actually just went on a completely downward trajectory. Um they had that quarterback who was hurt last year, who played some, who played pretty well uh, in Miles Brennan when he wasn't hurt. So I, yeah, I mean, I'm a little nervous there, but I would rather play them earlier in the year. You got a new head coach, you got probably a quarterback coming back from injury, or um, I think in the transfer, I think they got one in the transfer portal. The the kid Jaden Daniels from Arizona State. Um, whose teammates hated him, right? Like I, they were throwing stuff at him. That's not a good look. Um, and you got you got uh, you got Brian Kelly, who is a pretty good coach, but he's new. He's going to have to get settled in. Um, yeah, I just I think your best crack at them is going to be early in the season. And plus, we get a week zero tune up game, so we get to play a live game. Then we get to go play LSU early on the season while Brian Kelly is still kind of figuring it out. I think that's your best chance to win. And look, we almost beat Notre Dame last year. I think that you have a very good shot to beat that team this year. And if you can beat LSU in basically a home game, well, that starts you off on a pretty good trajectory. And folks, if you listened all the way through the show this morning, you've started your week off on a pretty good trajectory. So make sure you all come back every single day, Monday through Friday, for your favorite daily Florida State sports talk show in Locked On Seminoles. I'm your host, Max. And I don't know whose catchphrase I want to steal because neither Drake or Dave are here, so I guess I'll say take care, everybody, and go Knowles.